0: Hello, welcome to Shepherd the Sheep. Uh, we are in studio today talking about books, books, and reading books, and a little bit about why I'm not a fan of discernment ministries. good to be back
1: yeah it's nice and gloomy outside but
0: i know i don't have any coffee
1: no coffee it's gonna be a hopefully a short one today
0: yeah we'll see (laughs) i know i always say it will be short hour and a half later yeah we're done okay well uh up and coming this podcast is kind of starting off the 2023 season uh 365 days again Mm-hmm. So, uh, but this year, we are rolling out some books throughout the year that we're encouraging the congregation to read. Yep. So, January starts off with Bully Pulpit by Michael Kruger, and we'll have a podcast on that. We'll try to podcast on each of the books as we go through the year. So, should be good. Um, I don't remember the book list right now, but I know Kruger starts us off and- mm-hmm. We have a couple for February and March and April. So, um, I know Gentle and is one of them. Mm-hmm. Corporate worship, little booklet in the Nine Mark series. Yep. Yep. And, uh, Putting Jesus in His Place, which is a phenomenal book. So, yeah, should be helpful. Um, uh, but before we do that, kind of want to talk about how to read a book.
1: Yeah, I think that'll be helpful as we, uh, I mean this this is going to be a, a chore for many. Yeah. So we want to prepare them. Yeah. Hopefully not bog them down and discourage mm-hmm. them. Right. So yeah, hopefully cuz I know you're always coming back with, you know, you've read like five books and it's only been a week. How how does that happen? Like why Yeah. I, that's the discouragement for most people.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. People can't see what we do in our elder text message and Somebody would be like reading a book, and I'm like, I just read that three books ago. (laughs) I'd be like, hey, you got to get this book. And somebody chimes in, gosh, I'm not even caught up with the other three books yet. Oh, yeah, sorry. A lot of that's just kind of my morning routine. Mm -hmm. Wake up, get a cup of coffee, grab a book, and peruse the book while uh, drinking the coffee. Mm -hmm. And some books move faster than others. So uh, if you get a bunch of easy books, it's easy to plow through five in a week. Yep, so uh, I try to kind of, thematically, they all fit in my head, too, at some level, so it's kind of like.
1: That does help. Yeah,
0: they bridge together.
1: They're not like. They're often in the discussion of um, kind of what we're learning as well. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so it's been like, like sometimes, uh, you know, cities divided up into regions in the city, <clears throat> so you got like, you know, the arts district or the cultural corridor or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, Summerlin, Enterprise, uh, Mountain's Edge, for us Vegas people. And so I feel like a lot of my books are like that. They're in the same city. They're not necessarily in the same part of the city. Um, it'd be different if I was reading a book this week on Las Vegas and then picked up one on Dallas and then one on New York and then came back to L.A. Like that would be, like in my head, that'd be really hodgepodgey. Yeah. Yeah. So <clears throat> a, lot of, a lot of the books recently have kind of been on flushing out theology like, who God is and what that what that means for, like, living,
1: so. Yeah, well, hopefully you could help us strategize in our reading.
0: Yeah. And, oh.
1: Yeah. And, um, you know, maybe people can pick up a new skill on how to read better. Yeah. Um, maybe more strategically. Yeah. Um, because the goal is not necessarily to read every word. No. All right, so.
0: Right. I think that's the big that's kind of the the number one observation I have in people reading Christian books is I hear a lot oh I read so slow and you kind of look at their their, their, their look at their book as they're reading it and I think that's probably the first point is when you read a Christian book you're not reading the Bible hmm. and I think that's a big difference.
1: yeah, you open someone's book that they're reading in every single. Paragraph is underlined.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And
1: I mean, I guess some books are that good.
0: Some books are that good. Yeah. And, and even I like sometimes like in that ordinary by Horton, um, the way I take notes now and mark up my books, uh, there's a, there's a system to that. Oh yeah. So, um, if I put a little money signal, you know, uh, shift four Uh on the keyboard, Next to it, then that's like, that's a quotable, really helpful paragraph. Hmm. And there was two pages back to back in that Horton book where there were eight, eight or 10 paragraphs and like seven of them had a money tag by Ooh, Yeah. So that's like, whoa, that's like a money page. Yep. Yep. So
1: no fire emojis.
0: Uh, I'm just not that good of an artist. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but I, I noticed when people read that some of them read them like it's a Bible. I remember. Well, like, I was, what do you mean by that, though? Like, yeah, like, when you uh, say,
1: like, the Bible. Is well, that,
0: yeah. When you read the Bible, you're reading divinely inspired Word of God. Mm-hmm. And there's a party that wants to understand every sentence. And I sometimes think people go and they pick up a Piper book or some book by Insert Your Favorite Author or whoever. And you read every paragraph and you're like, you're marking it up like it's Genesis 52. You know, and it's like the story of Joseph and you're like trying, and it's like, it's not, it's not the same book. Mm-hmm. It's not inspired. Mm-hmm. It's an author's engagement with the, the subject material. And right. so even kind of knowing that difference is helpful. So if you read a book, like you're reading the Bible, you're going to take six years to read through that book and you're going to get really low, really slow. And you're going to try to absorb every sentence. And I don't think that's wise reading.
1: Yeah, I heard someone say that books are like friends. Okay, and um, and I think I know what they mean by that. I mean, it's like they 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 sit with them. They they're like company. Uh-huh. Um, but there's another aspect of that. It's like you're learning from a friend, not necessarily from an authority figure. Oh, I guess it could be an authority figure. Yeah, but not. It's not God. Yeah, you know, it's like he, he's the our author is trying to help you learn something. Yeah. And, but you still have to discern. You have to use discernment as you read. Yeah. So like any friend that gives you advice, you know, I mean, obviously, the more trusted friends, people who are more mature, you you give more weight to that advice. Same yeah. thing with books. Yeah. But it's not God.
0: Yeah, it's not the Lord. Yeah. It's not inspired. Um, So I think it's helpful to know that dish. That's a good way to put it, like you're talking to your friend. Because when I, when I pick up a book, I think of it like this. Um, The author has studied the material to the point to where he or she can actually write about the material. And if you've ever done a research paper in order to write a long research paper, you have to have content. Mm -hmm. So you can't sit down and write a 40 page paper and have only read an encyclopedia article. Yep. You don't have the knowledge that it takes to write on that level. And so a lot of times, even when you look at these books by a bibliography, at the end, you'll see 150, 200 references, and the point is that the author is trying to say, "Hey, these, all of these works have helped me in my coming to some conclusions, coming with some kind of hooks to hang your hat on." So that as you're reading along, there's there's key there's key points that your brain can latch onto, mm-hmm. which is why a lot of books will even will even kind of break down their chapters by by main issues, and so when you're reading that book you know, you're, you're, you're reading the author's research. And so it is like talking to a friend, Yep. you're, you know, and that, that's actually the way I view reading now is when I sit down with a book, I'm listening to somebody who's thought about the material and I almost picture myself like listening to them in a lecture mm-hmm. and I've got a pen in my hand and I might underline some things. I might like mark up some things like that's really good. I might mark up some things like that I think that's a quotable and then I move on. Yeah.
1: Now um um uh, they are like friends um who are vetted. Uh like they did the research, but you know there there's something to be said about um you know these writers are published and publishers don't just print anybody, right? They they and obviously there's still politics in any organization, but at some level these are vetted thoughts, they're edited, they're they're refined they're well-studied they're well for the most part. So hopefully, you know, when you're writing and when you're reading an author, you're hopefully getting the best possible material. Yeah, you hope. Versus versus like a self-published person, you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, and that that's actually probably a noteworthy discussion is just because a publisher publishes the book doesn't mean the publisher believes what the book says. Right. You know, because there are, we all know there are some bad Christian books out there. And somebody's like, well, how could Zondervan publish this book by this false teacher? And what you got to realize is the publishers are in the business of making money. Mm-hmm. They're not in the business of necessarily trying to promote the truth. Right. So some some scholarly publishers, some publishers are work with the scholarly community to say, hey, we realize this is a discussion, so we're going to publish material on the discussion so that you guys can have the discussion. Yeah. Okay, so... Right, because that's the number one thing I hear is, is or I'll hear somebody say, oh, I can't believe you're reading that book. Don't you see who endorsed it on the back of the book? And like I used to hear that in the bookstore all the time. How can you guys carry this book? It's endorsed by Like blah, blah, blah. And you're like, yeah, that's actually, the author doesn't pick a lot of times who endorses the book. Mm -hmm. So what the publishers do is they take your book and they send out copies of your book to key authors or key individuals and the remember the publisher's trying to make money yep so if you write a book and i can get the charismatic circle the king james only circle the you know the presbyterians the baptists if i can get key figures in each circle to endorse your book then i can sell more copies of
1: your book called good marketing yes so
0: a lot of times yes that's it's just a marketing yeah it doesn't mean anything about the faithfulness of the book right like in fact some authors will have I've known they've even told publishers hey I would prefer that person not to endorse the book and the publisher will go okay they don't care they put it on the book anyway Mm. and it's like what are you gonna do at that point right you know so
1: that's fascinating
0: yeah sometimes publishers are even smart and you'll write a book and they found somebody really famous who likes the book and will write like an endorsement introduction to the book. And you didn't get to pick that person. And the book will be like, you know, um, How to Love People by Gino Glamo, but in big print is endorsed by big name guy. Right. And you almost think the book's by the big name guy because on the cover, his name is bigger than your name. Mm-hmm. And that's marketing. So mm. that's, that's why I don't hence don't judge a book by its cover. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, if you did judge a book by its cover, you would never read life in the body of Christ. Cause that cover <laughs> is sinful.
1: Uh, I apologize on behalf of who created that art on that. Cover. Yeah. Uh,
0: and that's, that's a top five book like yeah. Curtis Thomas. That's a phenomenal book, horrible cover. Mm-hmm. Um, but, the, but again, that goes back to just, you kind of got to learn these things. Uh, that's why I don't, you know, when somebody comes to me and they're like in shock, like, "Whoa, you endorsed endorse it? That's why I don't care. Like, yeah. eh, it's just marketing. And once you, once you learn it, you're like, okay, better for better or worse. It is the system. And then in my mind, it's like, is that a fight I want to have? Or do I want to just read the book and
1: see what the book says? <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's actually a fair way to, I mean, you're not because it's not the Bible just because it's, it's in a book. And it says it's a Christian book doesn't mean you have to believe it either. Right. It's a position. Yes. And um and as believers, we're we're called to be discerning. And even I mean, not that we're we have to learn every position of every theological theme or whatever. Right. But um uh, but as we're growing in a knowledge of whatever doctrine we're learning, um, we have to realize that you have to be able to discuss the um, you know, all the different nuances and I mean the guy might be right. Yeah. You might have to learn something, yeah. something new.
0: Yeah. That's the, that's what makes a book better than like Twitter or um, even sometimes a 20 minute or a 45 minute YouTube lecture is you can only say so much in a lecture. You can only say so much on Twitter, but in a book you can get into the details. Yeah. And that's what makes the book so good is that it's a detailed discussion. And um, it's funny. Our dog's in here where my dog's in here. And she's trying to shepherd. So she's <laughs> looking out the window, trying to tell me that there's something maybe not right outside.
1: If, if you hear a dog, that's Yeah, right. so,
0: <laughs> yeah, she's just shepherding. That's that's her job. She's a shepherd. She's an Australian shepherd.
1: In so, Las Vegas. In Las Vegas,
0: yeah. <laughs> Actually, the Aussie is not even uh, Australian. It's American-bred. Oh, wow. They don't know how it got the name Aussie. Those mm-hmm. Australians. They took our dogs. <laughs> anyway, so it's an American-bred shepherd. But all that to say, so... Um, when you read a book, the goal is not to soak in every paragraph. And I remember early on, Rick Holland said that like um, books, books are meant to be read Um, and note that there's going to be some paragraphs that are life altering mm. that the entire book that he's like, if you could boil down what's helpful in a book, it's probably a couple paragraphs. It's probably not the whole book.
1: Wow. Yeah. I feel like there's a market there though. you know, <laughs> right. cliff notes for, right? Uh. You no. Know. Yeah. For every every like because there, there's not really I mean that would be great, right? Like if you could Yeah. That'd be great service, Jason. Go but, ahead and do it. But.
0: but the paragraph you pick might be different than the paragraph <laughs> I pick.
1: Uh that's true.
0: And that's that's I think the point that so my encouragement to you is when you read a book, you you're not here to soak in every nuanced detail that the author puts together. You're trying to learn the argument from the author.
2: Hmm.
0: And Obviously, some guys we're going to trust more than other guys, but when I read a book, I'm trying to figure out what is the main point of the book, and then how did the author break down the argument, and what are the key chapters in the argument? Usually, the key points of an argument are early in the book. Like, Rarely does somebody say, let me build a house and then put the foundation in the last chapter. Right. So sometimes they'll lay the foundation and then they'll start building rooms on it. And then the last chapter, they put the roof on it and help tie everything together. Whereas other books, you can kind of look through and say, Hey, it's a, it's a cacophony of issues that are kind of loosely together, but there's not going to be a summary chapter that ties it all together. So like redemption accomplished and applied or the cross and salvation by dimmerist. Those are two books that have said, okay, these are going to be articles on the doctrine of salvation. and as you read each chapter, you're getting a different you're getting a different like kind of subheading, if you will of the doctrine of sociology, the doctrine of salvation. So you're going to have one chapter on justification, one chapter on adoption, one chapter on regeneration, one chapter on union. And all of these, right there is some overlap between them, but the goal is not to kind of put together one book that makes one cohesive argument. Whereas like in bully pulpit law, um, not lawn lawn is the lawn Kruger is the Oklahoma basketball coach hmm. that retired. So not Lon Michael Kruger. Kruger. Michael Kruger is saying, Hey, here's a problem that we're starting to note in churches. And it's become such a problem that there's now a common testimony across the United States, if not broader. And he ties this together. He puts forth a lot of evidence, right? It coordinates with, a podcast that came out on the rise and fall of a certain church. Um, Individuals have gone through this. Like people have gone through this. You can find it on Twitter. You can like, there's enough of a common problem that he said, okay, Hey, let's look at the problem. And so you have a couple chapters diagnosing the problem, but also sprinkled in this book. And this is why I like Michael's book on this. Dr. Kruger's book is because it's not just a book slamming wrong leadership. He, he infuses in there a biblical view of what leadership should be. Mm-hmm. And then at the very end, he says, hey, here are some things that your church can do to prevent that. Mm. And so all of that, right, again, is an educated, an author who is educated on the subject, writing about the material, conveying the material, putting it together, so that you can kind of then read his research. Almost like you're sitting down with a friend, listening to him talk to you about the material. Yeah, And... So in, in Michael Kruger's book, right, you have one theme, whereas in, in Demarest's cross and salvation book, it's more of a like breakdown of systematic theology mm-hmm. on salvation. Yes, but different facets, right? Cause scripture talks about salvation using different themes and different understanding, right? The atonement and he's not necessarily trying to like put the house together in a way to where you can always see the big picture. He's, he's saying, Hey, let me walk you through the house. Let me show you the foyer. Let me show you the dining room. Let me show you the kitchen. And he's trying to give you details. And then he's leaving you to kind of put together the big picture after you read it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So
1: that's a good way to put it. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: So you have to kind of, so in reading a book, you have to kind of know one, what's, what's the book about two, what's the author's um, goal or how's he going to write the book? And so, when you sit down, the first thing you should do—first thing I do—is what's this book? What's the the subject material about? Mm-hmm. Two, what do I know about the what do I know already about the subject material? And that that's an important question to ask too. Uh, and then three, look at the table of contents, because sometimes the table of contents will kind of help you see the big picture of his flow of thought. Now, sometimes it's not helpful because they create catchy little titles for every chapter yeah and you're like okay this is a book on the doctrine of salvation and you know like all the chapter titles are like famous movies and you're like well that's not going to help me understand this at all so then but a good author and i think this is common practice now the probably the most important chapter you can read is the introduction Mm -hmm. because in the introduction he's going to give you the thesis He's going to give you, here is my goal in why I'm writing this book. Here's what I want you to understand. And a lot of times he'll even break down his argument. Hey, the first four chapters are going to be, you know, let's look at this. And then the next four chapters are going to be like, okay, now based on those, let's look at this. And then the last one, he might be like, okay, now let's do this. And that's a helpful to read because now you can kind of get a sense of, okay, remembering that, right? You can even mark it. you can, you can dog ear the pages if you if you want to mutilate your books, um, right? And so you can always come back to that and kind of go, okay, ham in the first section. The first section is trying to lay the groundwork, right? So now you know. Mm. Um, you know, I read a book where it was very detailed on on a part of theology proper and understanding God's character as it relates to emotions. Well, that author's that's a very scholarly book. So that author spent some time talking about historical theology and um, he's going to engage people from a broader theological perspective. Well, that's actually helpful to know. Yes. Because if you're just trying to understand his view, then there's actually sections. There's actually subsections under each chapter where you can say, Oh, okay, here he's engaging the German liberals. I don't really care. And you can kind of skip that section you can kind of skim that section and move on to the next section
1: mm. yeah so you actually prioritize what yeah you're, you're when you're mining it's like you're mining information and you're you're really just looking for the gold yes there's a lot of good stuff there's silver there's other valuable things but yeah and you, in your, in what you're trying to do is like okay what do I actually need right now yes yeah, okay
0: yeah and I think that's fair right what what do I need to get from this book um if there and that's a difference too are you trying to teach a class? And, w- and what class are you trying to teach? Are you trying to teach a Bible study uh, for your church? Are you trying to teach a lecture to other seminary students? Well, if you're, t- if you're teaching a lecture to seminary students, then you're probably going to need to read more broadly because what you're trying to equip the seminary students with may be a little bit more broader and yet still pointed in trying to give them the truth that you want them to understand. But like some of our seminary classes, Right, the professors would navigate other popular theological positions so that we as, as, as pastors in the pastoral ministry, when we're reading, have some level of knowledge of the different circles and the different camps out
2: there mm-hmm.
0: so that we're not stupid when it comes to like, oh, there's a whole German liberal, like that's its own camp, and it is its own camp.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And depending on what you're trying to do, there are some, there are some people in their work that have to navigate that camp all the time. Whereas in the church, it's like, you know, I, it's helpful to be aware that that camps out there, but I'm not interested in teaching German liberalism. So they're not influential to me. So I'm not even going to like, like that might be a perusal just so I'm aware of the concepts out there, but it's like, no, I'm more interested in what is this person's exegetical insights into the actual issue look like. So now I'm, you know, I might kind of skim through some of it, but now when he gets into, okay, here's, here's my definition of the doctrine and here is where we get that, mm-hmm. you know, and now those are the chapters that are key in a scholarly book because, okay, now he's like, okay, but see Isaiah 40 is an important chapter of the discussion and here's why. And here's my breakdown of the chapter and here's, here's what it teaches us. And, you know, that's to me the helpful part of some of those books, mm-hmm. you know, but Some of the books we're picking, I would call like more, more for the layperson. Yeah. And hopefully, you know, to me, the best books are the ones where they show you the text they're using. They explain their understanding of the text so that you can even go and read the text and kind of agree or disagree with them. You know, ideally you could, you could be like, okay, your, your point is Isaiah 45 and Cirrus. And I've gone and read that and you understand Isaiah 45 well enough that you're almost having a conversation with the guy in your head, Mm -hmm. you know, like, okay, well, what do you do with, what do you do with verse five? Oh, I see what you do with verse five, you know, and where even sometimes you're like, well, I think verse five means this. And he unfolds an argument like, you know what? Uh, He has a better, he has a better understanding of the text than I do. Yep. So I'm going to reshape my thinking now because he has some really good points. Yeah. So, Right, and at that point, you're you're kind of having a conversation with a friend, uh, and at the same token, realizing, hey, I'm talking to somebody that spent more than twenty minutes on this, right? An author doesn't watch six YouTube videos, talk to a couple people for coffee, and then go write a book, right? Again, he's ideally read quite a bit mm. and then packaged it in a way to hopefully make sense to his to his audience.
1: Yeah, that's that's good. That's that's helpful because I think. Um Right. we're really what you're saying is be critical even even as we read be critical in the way you approach it because the goal is to learn yeah um but you're not discounting other people just because you know maybe a, a group of you know a group of people say you shouldn't read that author or anything like that like yeah rather rather like look at the argument and see if he's right about a certain point or a certain text yeah and that's how that's 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 kind of like that's being humble, I think. Right? Yeah, yeah. You're trying to
0: be teachable. <clears throat> I I think you have the. To me, the, sometimes reading a book is actually a lot of work for me because I am trying to break down what is this author's presuppositions, what does he assume, what what what's the foundation? Right, and that's everybody's theological take has some presupposition. Yes, uh, God is holy, and God is sovereign. Now, again, we can we can all say, hey, well, that's in the text, and that's true but how do you define holiness that that may be a presupposition and, and a good, a good example of that not in theology, but sometimes you'll read um, a biologist assertion and they'll be like, well, you know, the, the, the Madagascar, you know, rabbit does this and we can see that from evolution and you're like, okay, that that's the author's presupposition is that evolution is true and that presupposition is infused into his observations, which is helping him have his conclusion.
2: Well, mm-hmm. the same
0: thing happens in theology. Mm-hmm. And so even even when you read, for me, there's kind of this like, what, what are you presupposing? What are you assuming to be true? And sometimes if you, a good author will tell you, hey, here's, here's kind of the foundation and the building upon. Some authors, they don't tell you. And again, it depends on the book. Uh, but it's helpful if you can kind of root out and go, hey, what presupposition do you have? And a a good way to put this is if you're reading a covenantal author on, on soteriology, they're going to talk about, they're going to build their view of justification built based upon a view of covenant works and covenant grace. Mm -hmm. So they're going to say things that are in line with that. Well, that's their presupposition foundational level thought. Whereas a dispensational person isn't going to, to agree with the covenant works and covenant grace. So, their take's going to be a little different. Now, the interesting part to me is sometimes, in fact, more times with believers, they end up landing in the same place. They just kind of get there by different roads. Yeah. And to me, sometimes that's why I, that's why I'm slower to denounce some people than other people are because it's like, well, yes, we, we don't agree with all the details, but ultimately both parties are landing in the same place and I'm comfortable with where they land because when I read scripture, I definitely see that landing spot. Yeah. You know, and it's like, even though they kind of got there differently, like at the end of the day, they both still are saying justification by faith alone through Christ alone. They're affirming the triune God. You know, they're just some, the the details are a little different. And that, you know, yeah, that's okay.
1: Yeah. I I mean, it's amazing how the spirit helps us to conclude the same thing. Yeah, I (laughs) know. know. Right.
0: Well, and that's like, like Horton, Horton's one of my favorite uh, theologians, but Horton's a Presbyterian God believes in infant baptism. I don't believe in infant baptism. Yeah. Uh, so if, if I'm going to like instantly wipe away everything he says, then I'm missing a lot of really wise, intuitive, well thought out positions that Horton will assert that are still helpful, even though we disagree on that subject. Mm -hmm. And by even understanding, you know, um, in that book, Ordinary, he kind of like there's a there's a section where he kind of puts the community together and what the community does, and it's like, well, I can agree with him on what on the role of the community, but we're going to disagree a little bit on the doctrines. Yes, and so it's like, so to just throw Horton out because I don't agree with his Presbyterianism would be, in my opinion, a little bit short-sighted, and I potentially. Um, am short sighting my own understanding of the Lord, rather mm-hmm. than listen to this voice that's still hopeful.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely noticed that as well. And I, I think for the most part, most people, it probably if they haven't like this, they have, they have, if they haven't like learned um, the different presuppositions, they might just go over their head and not even yeah. read through the book and not even realize that just that that's a different position. You know what yeah. I mean? But um, yeah, I think you're right though the the landing, and, and I mean. The, the scriptures that are referenced are are helpful so yeah. it's still gonna it's still gonna teach you about the Lord and how to you know love him and yeah and love others so
0: that's um yeah I think that's you know as, as I read through the, that material I, I do look okay what text are they using what presuppositions do they have? what can I learn from this guy um, what view does he have that you know what 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 he really ha- what a lot of these guys help me do? Is sometimes they help me dot the I's and cross the T's in my own thinking. Mm-hmm. And that that's why it's good to listen to these some of these guys. Right. Is that's why that's where books are helpful is because, because you're kind of working with it, what we would call a at least a quasi expert at, at worst. you that person has thought about it enough to where you can glean from their ability to dot the I's and cross the T's and explain it. Mm-hmm. Um, some authors, right. I mean, anybody that knows me knows union has always been a really big deal in my mind. And once I really started to understand that it wasn't hard for me to see the leap into identity. However, reading some other authors who are more mature than me and have walked to the Lord longer than me and have thought about this more than I have, I've been able to glean from them and have even a more robust understanding of what it means to have identity in Jesus Christ. Mm. And that's been helpful, right? Because what they've done is they've helped me to articulate identity better so that I understand, Hey, my works are not here to to keep earning favor with God or my identity is not found. Right. Again, I'm thinking of these authors that will say this, like um, my identity is not a found in you, you, some quasi, you know, like some other person's perception of me. Like identity is found in Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes authors will help, help bring what is a mist in your head and they'll help formulate a concrete image mm-hmm. so that they go from being an impressionist painting to like a photo that was taken at a summer picnic. Yeah. And that's helpful because like, okay, now I better like, like my cameras focused better. I see this better. Mm-hmm. And, and again, you know, in ordinary, just cause that's the one I finished today. Um, there are many places where I'm like, I don't agree with that, Mm -hmm. but he's not like the point of that book. Isn't to like, get him to get me to agree with those specific details. Those are kind of examples to another point he's making that, that I do think I need to listen to. Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
1: No, that's, um, it's, it's great when you're reading a book and you're just like, that's exactly what I think. Yes. And it's like, wait, but he said it like a hundred times better. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) That's yes. Yes. So you know, like it, it it reaffirms things that you're thinking about in a way that in a more clear way, basically. Yeah. Um, you can put some feet on it, and you can actually, um, yeah. It's it's I love that. It's from an impressionistic painting to a photo. That's really good.
0: Yeah. If you know what impressionism is.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Which is my favorite. Squiggly one. lines. Yes. Yeah. A bunch of squiggly yeah. lines that make yeah. a picture. Yes.
0: Broad strokes. Yeah. Um, and that and so a couple of things that I that I'd like to just kind of throw in there too on books. Um, what do you do if you disagree with a book? And again, I've, I've seen some people, I disagree. So the book's bad, right? Sometimes when I'm finished a book, I'll go and I'll read the one star reviews Mm -hmm. just to see what's out there. And I find, I feel like, like I finished a book and I read the one star reviews and I was like, none of these one star reviews are are good. And so in my head, kind of unloving probably, but my presupposition was my guess is this book struck a chord with you. And your your rejection of the book is indicative of something was said that crossed you, that you don't like.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Like I, I, mean, I mean, our podcast has a couple one star reviews, and my guess is it's probably because we said something that if that made somebody mad or offended him. Yeah, and you know, I mean, they know us; they can always reach out. Like we're happy to talk to them, but that's that's the way it goes. And so all I would say is. If somebody if you disagree with the book, one that doesn't make the book bad. Uh, again, it's not the Bible. So the author is going to have flaws and be imperfect. So to expect the book to communicate the truth like scripture is to place a wrong expectation on the book. Second, here's what I would say. If you disagree with the book, and it's totally okay to disagree with the book. Again, I even when I read Horton's two volumes on justification, I disagreed with some of it. But if we sat down I can at least tell you, here's why I disagreed with the book. Mm-hmm. And I think it's my job, I think it's more helpful, excuse me, if I'm going to disagree with a book, to be able to sit down and say, here's three issues. Here's three reasons why I maybe don't agree with your argument. And I think it's also fair to make sure you can summarize the author's argument in a way to where if the author was sitting at the table, he or she would go, okay, you understand my point. Because that's the other thing I've found, um, which is, this kind of leads into something I haven't said, but it's helpful. It's helpful to talk about the book you read with somebody else, especially if that somebody else has read the book. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes you'll read something and you'll be like, I can't believe the author believes that. And you'll, you'll sit down and you'll say something and the person's like, oh no, the author doesn't believe that. And you go back and you realize, oh, for some reason, this paragraph, I must have had a brain fart. But I, I missed this point. Okay, now I just didn't understand the, uh, the author's argument. And now that I understand it better, I realize what I thought the author said isn't what the author said. Mm-hmm. So that's why I think disagreement needs to be like a little flag in your head that says, hey, wait a minute, let me slow down a bit. Do I understand the argument? Okay, I do understand the argument. Here's three things that I, do, here's three reasons why I don't fully agree with all of your details. Yeah. But sometimes, again, the author is trying to make a point and the example isn't the point. You know what I mean? Yes. And no, so, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's the hard that part. Saying,
1: yeah, yeah you, I, you almost, sometimes there's things that you'll disagree with that you don't even have to, um, you know, you don't have to dispute because it's not really the main point yeah. and you'd waste your time. Yeah. Um, but if, sometimes books that you do disagree with, if anything, it should, it, it should help you clarify the strength of your own arg- argument uh, and if it doesn't, then you're just mad because he disagrees and that, yes. that's an, an unfair, con- you know, that's an unfair and if you're mad at him, and that's an unfair way to treat somebody or think about somebody, yeah, um, why can't it be that you know he came to a different conclusion than you, um, you know, through different analysis or different, and it's okay, yes, um, perfectly fine,
0: yes, yeah, and it, it's also possible that the reason why you disagree is because your view is wrong, absolutely, yeah, and that's that's what I think you've that's why I think you've got to dig a little bit. Rather than just oh I disagree one star
1: yeah if you can't clarify your 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 position yep. and all you can say is I like, disagree then you know then then you haven't really done any work yes and kind of an unfair judgment on the other person
0: I I've observed something and I'm hesitant to say it because somebody will take it as me trying to it be mean or insulty I just made up that word insulty I'm not trying like to be it. that way but sometimes criticism is a reflection of immaturity of thought Mm -hmm. more so than it is actual legit criticism. Mm -hmm. And, and what, what reveals that a lot of times is kids. Well, I need you to put up your dishes. Well, that's not fair. Oh, okay. Why isn't that fair? Well, I I mean, I had to put up my dishes yesterday. It's just not fair that I have to do it. And you go, okay, well, who should have to do it? And they look at you and they stare at you Mm -hmm. for 10 minutes realizing that if they say mom you're going to be like wait a minute so your mom should have to do all of your work you know and sometimes what happens is you know the kid realizes oh wait a minute i actually don't have a good view of this mm-hmm. and so right that's that's where like i think disagreement is good because you can sit there and go wait a minute what is it that i don't like about this take yeah um yeah i mean i remember even for college football you know one time i didn't I mean, I still don't care for one team, but they'll be the top-ranked team. And I was like, ah, they're overrated. And it's like, well, then you ask the question, well, who should be the top-rated team? And you kind of realize, oh, I thought every all the top 10 teams were overrated. And some way, like, well, if they're all overrated, I mean, you still got to, at the end of the day, rate somebody. So asking the question in a positive way helped me realize, well, okay. I yeah. mean, they're not professional football teams. They're college teams. So what do you expect? Um, so anyway, all I'd say, I think disagreement can be good in a book. Uh, I also think sometimes you got to be careful when you jump into a book uh, because some material is sometimes there's books that are helpful. If you already have some knowledge of the subject, sometimes that book is not helpful. Like like if somebody comes to me and says, I want to read a book on the Trinity, there are four or five books on my shelf that I would not hand somebody who has never thought about the Trinity. Mm. And it's like, You, this is like, this is like 202 level discussion. And if you don't understand, if you don't have kind of a basic working understanding of some of the terminology at one hundred one, you're going to really struggle getting into this because you're going to be looking up terms. The author's assuming, right? The author's writing to a group of people who already have studied this for a while. And so you have to kind of know that in the book as well. Mm -hmm. Who's the intended audience of this book? Because if you understand the intended audience, you, you're not your expectations are going to be right with the book. So sometimes it's helpful, you know. Um, there are some fiction books out there that are so big that it's actually smart to go read a couple articles online about what the book's about before you read the book. Because the book's got like 25 characters, and if you can kind of in your head know what the book's about, then it helps you latch onto those 25 characters. Whereas if you, don't, if you don't even know what the plot's about, you're so lost. The first time I read Lord of the Rings was atrocious because even though I kind of knew, like I really didn't know, I just heard it was a great book and I should read it. Mm-hmm. And I knew something about a ring and that was it. But it was like somebody opened a fire hose into a world I didn't know. And I was like, here, drink out of this. And it's like, well, you can't swallow anything. So it's good to like sometimes kind of go and, and, Kind of try to get an overview. You need to
1: do a background study a little yes. bit. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, yeah, that's, I'm that's glad where I, Wikipedia is helpful. Yes. Yeah. yeah. YouTube it, videos too. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. And if you don't like what Wikipedia says, you can always change it. Just go in and edit it.
1: <laughs> I, I remember a, a recent video or a movie I watched, um, super sci-fi, deep, like, and I'm so glad I watched like a uh, seven-minute like YouTube video kind of explaining the characters a little bit the world that they're in and when i watched it i just it just the appreciation level just skyrocketed yeah to where it's like oh my goodness this is awesome yeah, you're not
0: talking about star wars no i think i know what movie you're talking about yeah name that movie Dune. no i was gonna say i was, that was my guess. <laughs> yeah. dune yeah <laughs> i was gonna say give me uh, the, what is Dune, Alex?
1: No, yeah, no. Now the you're person right. that was watching with me, though, I had to like pause and explain everything. <laughs>
0: yes. Well, Dune is. Uh, I have found I've read Dune three times, uh-huh. four times. Nerd. Yes. <laughs> uh, and I. That's what I found is every time I read it, I go, "Wow, I missed that." Yeah. There is so much depth there, but that's a good example of mm-hmm. it is helpful to have some kind of overview, uh, because it's a it's a little bit more of a political. Yes. Than it is, like just a. So for all
1: those who scoffed it, yeah, you don't, you didn't know what you watched.
0: No, I. <laughs> yeah, sometimes I hear the scoffing, and I'm like, "That's fair. I get it. You don't know what's going on. Um, it's a, it's, it's not the easiest story to get into. I will admit that, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, so now, one more thing: is it okay to read bad books? Is it okay to read a book from somebody that you know isn't good?
1: Like. Okay, can you define bad book?
0: Yeah, um, is it okay to read a German liberal?
1: Oh, yeah, I, I yeah, I I mean, I I think it depends on the purpose of why you're reading it, right? Yeah, if you if you need to understand um, the subject material, you gotta and the and the and because a lot of a lot of the discussions and at least in scholarly circles bring a reference those German liberals. Yeah, so without that knowledge. Sometimes it's very difficult to deal with the the content if you have not read them. Yeah, how are you going to discuss it fairly yeah. and thoroughly without without the without reading a, a German liberal?
0: Yeah, know? that's where um, one scholar is really good is when he writes on a subject. He goes and he reads the view that he thinks he's going to take, the view that kind of is more in the theological circle that he knows he stands in. Mm. And then he goes and reads people that disagree with him and he tries to understand their argument to the point to where he almost believes their argument. Yeah. And then that way, when he navigates them, he's speaking. uh, He can accurately represent them Mm -hmm. and engage their argument and say, Hey, I know that this is what you said. However, these, these kind of three things in scripture persuade me a different direction.
1: Yeah. And, and to do it generously. Yes. I think uh, when you're engaging with people who disagree, like as believers, it would behoove us not to do it in a generous and graceful manner. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Westerholm has a book on kind of Pauline doctrine and it's a great book. Uh, but he, he has to read these different views of justification by, by new perspective guys by reform guys, by non-reform guys. And he's got to do that because the book he's writing is meant to be for somebody who's jumping into scholarly studies on Paul and have an understanding of the debate. Mm -hmm. You know, here's, here's the six main issues that people are talking about so that you, when you come in, you can kind of know the foundation of the study and the discussion. Mm -hmm. So yes, you may, you may, you may have a unique or the best argument for your position but in your in engaging it, your work at the scholarly level is not going to be taken seriously if you haven't
1: engaged those those yeah. those views. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It's like you haven't read these guys. Like how, how how can you come how can you be so like firm on your position when you haven't even read these other Yeah. Like what if they brought up good points that yeah. you, you need to deal with those good points? Yeah,
0: there's another reason why it's okay to read books from authors you might disagree with. And it is possible that you have blinders on. Oh yes. And sure. It, you know the one thing isolation is not just me alone you you can uh, a community can become isolated mm-hmm. and they can become isolated by only reading or or gaining information from
1: one source yeah what is that um echo chamber effect yeah, yeah. yeah the echo chamber effect. yes
0: and that's that might be one reason why I'd be willing to read authors from different camps mm-hmm
2: Sometimes is. they have really good
1: observations. They do, and yep. but horrible conclusions. Agreed. Which, uh, which again, gem- German liberals yep. often have those, where they conclude in a way that we would never conclude. But man, their their observations are just like wow. Yeah. Would not have ever seen that. Yeah. Unless you brought that up.
0: You know? Yeah. There's a there's a guy that writes on the parables, phenomenal historical background, phenomenal points, horrible conclusions.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: But when um. But every TMS prof
1: that we, that
0: we knew on campus was like, if you're going to study the parables or preach parables, you'd be foolish not to read this guy's book. Mm -hmm. And they all said the same thing. You're going to, you're going to question how he got, like sometimes you would read his thing and be like, Oh, so obviously this is what the parable saying. And you'd read his conclusion and be like, how did you even get that? Yeah. You know, but on the flip side, you know, uh, it was good material And again, if you're aware of the different presuppositions, the different camps out there, you're, you're also aware of what is influencing them theologically. Yes. And it doesn't negate the historical work they did. It doesn't negate some of the grant, you know, their grammatical observations. It just, you, you realize, Hey, here's, here's the problem. The, the other thing is like, it is possible on a subject that you, that, that we are echo chambered and we need to actually hear the different perspective. Mm-hmm. Like, like what if we had, so just kind of going back to the, like some of the debates on justice last couple of years, it might be wise to read somebody from a different camp mm-hmm. because what if they are right and we are wrong?
1: Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Then at that point, right. Hey, we've been st- with what we thought was standing for justice and we really weren't. Uh, that's why that was one of the things that annoyed me was on social media. There was this like, if your pastor is reading this book, then you should find a new church. And it's like, maybe you should find out why your pastor's reading that book. Mm-hmm. And maybe and again, I'm not saying they're right. I'm just saying like, maybe you should go find out why he's reading the book. Cause it might be legit.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, um, yeah. But that kind of leads into the second part of this discussion. And that is discernment ministries. Uh, and why I'm not a huge fan of discernment ministries. Because I think a lot of people privately know this. Yeah. Publicly, I, I think I say something every now and then. For the I feel like that, they're
1: dying out too.
0: I hope so. Man, they're so atrocious for the most part.
1: Yeah. There's got to be one good one out there.
0: Uh, yeah. <laughs> so it's interesting, right? Because Ordinary, somebody reminded me, is a response to a book, another book. Mm-hmm. Um, and the interesting part is when you pick Ordinary up and read it, you don't realize it's a response to another book. And I actually think Horton, if you're going to have a discernment ministry, Horton is exemplary in how to have a discernment ministry. Mm-hmm. So what makes Horton's book so good is he, if he's combat, he's combating right. According to a couple of people, he's combating this other idea. What Horton does is say, okay, what are we talking about biblically? What's the biblical subject material we're talking about? So, okay, we're talking about, um, Pursuing ambition, and and what it really means to live the Christian life, and so rather than just quote the person he disagrees with ad nauseum and say this is wrong, this is ungodly, this is unbiblical, this isn't right, he says, okay, there there are six issues in this in this that make up this person's argument, right? And so what he does is say, okay, what is what does the Bible say about these six issues? And then he te- then he positively teaches what what he thinks scripture is saying about those six issues
2: mm-hmm.
0: so that when you're done, you can have convictions on what the Bible says about those six issues. Rather than walking away with this like, oh, that book's wrong, you can walk away and go, oh, here's why I need to be content in my circumstances. Here's what I should be focused on. Here's what I should be doing. Here's where God is calling me. And that's my problem with the sermon ministries is a lot of them are like, well, the author said this. And if he really, if he, if he was really godly, he would have said it this way. And they get nitpicky. And it's, and it's almost like they read, they open a book to find out what's wrong with it. Well, if I open a book to find out what's wrong with it, I'm going to find something wrong on every page. Mm -hmm. Even the examples they use. I can't believe they use that example. That's an ungodly, you know, and I'm, I'm going to find demons where there's not demons. And that's my problem with most discernment ministries is even in some of the stuff I've seen on YouTube uh, that people have sent me or just through their discussions or articles is it's, it tears down without teaching. Mm -hmm. But the interesting part is then when you say that the common, like the number one thing I've heard every time I talk about discernment ministry to somebody is, yeah, but the Bible points out false teachers. And it's like, that's true. The Bible does point out false teachers. Now let's go a little deeper. How, does Paul, because a lot of times they'll reference Paul, how does Paul navigate those false teachers? That's the question that's not being asked. Mm. So in Galatians, Paul's writing to the Galatian church. There is a, there is some false teaching in the Galatian church. What's interesting is we don't know a lot about those false teachers. We know their doctrine of salvation is off, but we don't entirely know what they're saying. We, 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 pretty good guess that they're advocating some kind of law-based salvation, some kind of salvation by works and some kind of requirement of circumcision in order to be a believer. So, and Paul, right? He, he doesn't. So if you compare Paul's writing to the YouTube or the discernment ministry person, Paul's writing looks more like Horton's ordinary than it does like discernment blogger. Yeah. And that to me is like, that's why I think Horton is an example of how to do discernment ministry. Because what Paul does is he says, okay, look, um, you Judaizers in Philippi, or you Judaizers in Galatia, rather than tear them down, he says to the Galatian church, here's the doctrine of salvation as we taught it to you. So then they can listen and learn And now look at the false teachers and say, your doctrine is off. And here's why, because you are teaching this, we are teaching this. Mm -hmm. And so what he does is he, he combats the negative by putting forward a positive argument to me. That's how discernment ministry should be like, and it's so interesting. I was watching a video where this guy was trying to stump somebody. He's like, okay, like if six plus seven is 12, then what's seven plus six? And the recipient stopped and goes, well, six plus seven is not 12. He's like, what do you mean? And she was like, um, six plus six is 12, but (laughs) six plus seven is 13. And I thought that, that right there just justified what I think is the better biblical approach. Mm -hmm. When you have convictions and it's interesting, a lot of us have good math convictions. Two plus two is four. Uh, And and we're all going. It doesn't matter what the if if the school districts want to change that to two plus two equals whatever you want. We all know two plus two equals four, and so we're all sitting here with the discernment. Well, that discernment we have is because we know what the true. We know the truth is two plus two is four, and with that knowledge, now we're able to cut and say, hey, that's not right. That is right. Mm -hmm. And what what I'm finding in in what I've read on Discernment Ministries. And what I've seen is that instead what they do is they don't they don't even necessarily re- – most of them, this is the unfortunate part, is that sometimes they'll criticize something. And I'm like, I've actually read that. I read that in my THM work. And you completely misrepresented that author. Hmm. Now, the funny part is if you came to me and said, hey, would you recommend this author's take on this subject, I would agree with the discernment ministry and say no it's not, I don't think it's a biblical position. I don't agree with their take, and here's six reasons why. Um, but what they're doing is oftentimes misrepresenting the author, slamming the author, bashing the author. And there's a part of me, it's like when, you, when you're when you the author of a book, you, or, or giving a lecture, you have the right and the privilege to communicate that truth in a way that makes sense to you. Mm-hmm. So, my job as the listener is to try to understand your argument based on your argument. So, in other words, if you sit down and say, hey, um, racism is anytime a white person tells a non white person what to do, right? If that's your definition of racism, and you sit down and say, oh, Billy's a racist, well, if that's not my definition of racism, I may be going, wait a minute, how does Billy, like if my definition of racism is being biased or prejudice against somebody because they have a different color skin, I might be like, I've never once seen Billy be a racist. Mm-hmm. And in your head, well, Billy's a racist because Billy is the manager and tells his employees what to do. And some of his employees are not white. Well, you see see right yeah. there, there's a problem. So it's actually my job to understand what you mean by that mm-hmm. so that we can actually navigate that. Now, again, I may disagree with your definition of racism, but the, but the problem is a lot of times people aren't listening to understand your argument in discernment ministries. So they're, yeah. in their mind, it's like the only way to explain it is my way, the way that I would explain it, or the way that these six other people that I really like would explain it and the fact that you're not explaining it that that person's way means
1: you're off. Yeah, it's it's they often have a wrong view of holiness. Holiness, you know, for them is is um a lot of times um you know, let's not be wrong rather than what does it look like to be you know, godly and loving and holy. And oftentimes it's their manipulative tactics that these it's fear-based yeah. and it's um you know the the big word is heresy, Oh, yeah. and if you can get caught in the heresy camp, then they can manipulate you. Yeah. So it's like if they can call you a heretic, then it's like, oh, I don't want to be a heretic. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I have to I have to jump on the bandwagon and fight that fight because we can't be heretics. Yes. Well, you know, it's 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 I'm almost like to a point where it's like when people use the word heretic, I'm like I just I, I don't believe it anymore because yeah, uh, it's, it's just such a loose loose way to use it that. Yeah. It becomes an unfair treatment of someone else.
0: Well, we've we've seen one author specifically be called a heretic. And when you find out why, it's for his perceived political views. Hmm. And so again, that to your point, like, um, well, one, your political views don't make you an unbeliever. Uh two, having read the author, it's like actually the author's not a Marxist, so your discernment ministry guys who are calling him a false teacher because he's a Marxist. Have they read this guy? Cause mm-hmm. that's not what he's saying. Right. And, and so again, like that's, that's my problem with discernment ministries from, from even an, an uh, authoritative like position, like even if you applied like the laws of logic, um, if you were writing a paper, most of those discernment ministries would fail in their in their theological paper. Right. And the reason why they would fail is because they're one they a lot of times they don't represent their opponent well. Two, the other problem is this. Um before I indict you I in your position, I actually need to read your position. And that that's the other thing. Is what we're doing is is saying, "Oh, well this insert discernment blogger or discernment minister said this guy's a heretic. So the fact that you read him, he's a heretic. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, why? Well, because he said so. Um, that's not helpful. Yeah. Like that's, a, that's your, that's an argument from authority. But when you use that argument, you actually, Dr. Farnell was good at this, at teaching, teaching us this in the THM. You actually, anytime you quote an authority, you have to kind of show that the authority is actually right too. Yep. So now not only do you have to validate your own argument, you have to validate his argument as well. And so just to say, well, this, this published guy says he's wrong, therefore he's wrong. Well, that, that's actually not, that's a, that's a bad argument. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, well, Kyla, Gino said you're wrong. (laughs) Um, I am the authority on who's
1: wrong with it. Well, and I've tried that with (laughs) Kyla many times.
0: Uh, The responses continue to be, did you hear me? Uh, Oh, you're just ignoring me? Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. So sorry, Gene. Ah. Uh, then I'll tell her, like, well, your elders are telling you, and that never works. <laughs> By the way, that's a joke. I said that once and somebody thought it was serious. I was oh, like, gosh. oh my gosh, I would never like oh, I would never look like, at my way back. I'm your elder. Like, that's ridiculous. Um, but but the point is, right, just because somebody has concluded X doesn't mean X is true. Mm-hmm. You you now have to prove that their conclusion. So you have this like you have this. Um, think of it as a boat, right? The closer to the shore, the closer to the truth. You're making an assu- assertion with that boat untethered from the dock and a mile out from the shore. So you're not even at the shore. You're you're at the boat that's tethered a mile away from the shore. So your your argument is kind of like second degrees of separation. It's like it's like um, you know that that seven degrees of Kevin Bacon. Oh, hold on a second. She, she she hates this argument. <laughs> She's like, no. She's shepherding it. Um, so Seven Degrees of Separation, right? Like, oh, so Kevin Bacon uh, was in this movie and uh, Tom Cruise was in this movie and then those two people were in this movie and that's how we can connect Kevin Bacon to Tom Cruise. Even though you don't need to go through another actor, you could just mention um, a few good men. But the point being the same, right? If you've ever played Seven Degrees of Kevin Bacon, the, the point of the game is that you can usually name two actors, and and connect them to Kevin Bacon within seven movies.
1: Mm, I haven't actually ever played that game. Really, but I just oh, know yeah. Kevin Bacon's the greatest um, yeah. action hero of all time. That's right. That's right. <laughs> that's right. To, Footloose. Yeah. Star Lord. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, he was in the Christmas special too, by the way. Uh, yeah. But but the, but the point being, that's my so try to summarize this. My my problem with discernment ministries. Is oftentimes we're asking people to trust another person's opinion. And again, that opinion might be educated, but really you need evidence. And second, you've got to one, prove that the criticizer is rightfully representing the opponent. Two, um, you then still have to prove that, uh, based on the rightful representation. Um, you're still kind of away from the author like you're it's more hearsay and I think that's the problem is that we're we're denouncing people through hearsay and the bible definitely says it is it is injustice to denounce people based on hearsay
1: I, isn't that the uh, is it the sixth commandment
0: yeah it's it's isn't yeah miss it? the sin and misrepresentation
2: yeah
1: Thou no, shalt I, not, yeah,
0: misrepresent your neighbor. Don't, don't yeah. slander. Yeah. yeah. don't slander them. And it's a it's a huge issue. Big enough that like right, that it's one of the Ten Commandments. So mm-hmm. to misrepresent people is sinful. Yep. And so, and again, I'm not saying that all discernment ministry, some of them are right. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I hear it and I'm like, I totally agree. But then I also hear like, but the way you are going about doing it, mm-hmm. like it is not okay to insult. Second Timothy 2, 24 to 25, right? If you have somebody who's wrong there should be a gentleness and a compassion and a kindness and a desire to lead that person to the truth
1: yeah that's i think that's the difference between a mature person and a mature person yeah the mature person's goal is different right because the goal is not is is not to shame them into correction yeah the goal is to lead them to the right conclusion but you can't do that if you um have the the, these barriers you you create barriers with insult now you have no now you can have no right to influence them yeah. or or no you that door will be closed to ever influence them. If you ever have insulted them or yes. treated them wrongly. Yes. But if the goal is to actually help them, right. Then that's where the, the graciousness and generosity comes in. It's like, what's your goal here? Like, yeah. is your goal just to insult people? Yeah. Um, cause if it's, if, if it's to lead people, then it shouldn't look like this. Yeah.
0: Thaddeus Williams in his book on, um, um, confronting injustice while maintaining biblical truth, uh, he he talks about that. That what that what that becomes is propaganda. Yes. And so n- now the question is, and and you're notice you're noting that that it almost becomes this my circle versus your circle. Jump on our teams because you don't want to be it's that fear factor. You don't want to be over there.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You want to you want to be over here with the good guys. And again, that that loses what that does is. Is it loses the serving mentality that we are to maintain. Mm-hmm. Um, I slam dunk think Joel Osteen's off. Mm-hmm. Slam dunk think he's a false teacher. Um, I would happily try to influence and encourage people away from Joel Osteen. Mm-hmm. But how do we do that? Do we do that by slamming Joel? And, and here's, here's the question. Put yourself in this situation. What do you do when your friend is insulted?
1: You go to bat for him.
0: You go to bat for him. Yeah, right. So if Joel has ministered to you, and I don't don't say I'm not saying ministered like rightfully ministered, Mm -hmm. but if Joel has said things that that you find precious, Mm -hmm. and now I insult Joe, Joel, what are what's your knee jerk reaction?
1: Yeah, you're going to like have a bad taste with the person that insulted, not not necessarily Joel, because he has earned your trust. He said things that. He, might, he, might, he said things that has helped you. Yep. And now your friend is being hurt. Yep. You got to protect your friend. Yep.
0: Now, what if I teach you that salvation is by faith alone in Christ alone, and that this may not be your best life now? Mm-hmm. And what if you arrive at those conclusions biblically, and now you have those convictions? What are you going to do with Joel?
1: Yeah, you'll probably not follow Joel. Probably have compassion for him, hopefully, yep. and realize that, oh, wow, he's, just, yeah. he's off here.
0: Yep. And I think that's that's the difference. Mm-hmm. That's why I like Horton's approach because if you know the book he's responded to and you'd read both, and let's say the first book influenced you, and then you read the second book and you realize, man, this guy's got a, a, a better biblical argument, you are going to look at the other book and go, okay, there were a couple decent points in that book. Like Jesus is pretty radical, like, mm-hmm. but loving people the way Christ loves people is pretty radical because there's no cancel culture. Mm-hmm. There's no ghosting people. But now you start loving people, right? Uh, you start kind of responding like the way Horton's teaching you to respond, and you kind of go, "Okay, you know what? This is the biblical mindset. I'm going to follow this one. That's a better approach to me."
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, agreed.
0: Okay. So it's 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 the money thing, right? Like in the bank, man. The, the I remember the at the, the training center. We can't show you. Every fake dollar bill that you're gonna see. There's just way too many errors out there. And so one of the tellers, like, what do we do? And she was like, Look, you're gonna handle so much cash. Trust your instincts because you're gonna you're gonna be able to tell a dollar bill without looking at it. She was not wrong. Mm-hmm. Every dollar bill that was fake that came across my desk, I didn't look at it.
1: It felt different.
0: The second I touched it, I set it aside. And then I would look at it and be like, this is not even a good fake. I remember one guy got in an argument. He's like, that's real. And I was like, oh my gosh. And I, I just looked at him and I, and he was like, and I was like, dude, just grab that. And you tell me, he's like, where's the pen? I was like, grab it and tell me. He picked it up. He's like, yeah, okay. I was like, yeah. dude,
1: that is interesting. A fake dollar bill is made to look deceptive to the eye, Yep, but to the trained hand, you can't, you can't trick it. You
0: can't trick it. Yep. Well, there's other things you could do. If you crumple up a dollar bill and open it back up, it will soften back out. Mm -hmm. and it won't crease like you can make a dollar bill crease, but you can rub the crease out of a dollar bill. Yeah. Um, Now it may take, it may take a little bit of work, but a fake, fake dollar bill. Once you crumple that thing up, it will not uncrease because the paper is different and nobody can reduplicate the U S treasury's paper. And that's, that's the key. The ink that it feels a certain way because the paper is a certain way. Mm -hmm. And that's what the fall. That's what the fake people, they can't do. They cannot reduplicate the paper. And so it's just, it's fascinating the things you can do to just, so anyway, all to say, when you really know the truth, you, you are going to recognize the error. Mm -hmm. That's what I like about Horton's approach. Hey, let me give you convictions. Uh, Randy Faulkner, my pastor in Oklahoma said this. It was great. Uh, A friend of mine, we were kind of sitting there in his office talking and a friend said, Hey, why is it that my grandma can read? Um, oh, the, the, some lady prosperity girl, super popular. I don't remember her name right now. Joyce. Yeah. That's her. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And he was like, how come my grandma can rejoice and be like, Oh, she's so godly. She's so great. It's so good. And then turn around and read Piper. And be like, Oh, he's so godly. He's so great. He's so good. Mm-hmm. And not pick up the difference. And I'll never forget Randy's answer. Cause it honestly, I think this shaped me in my thinking about this issue. And he said, Oh, it's cause she doesn't have convictions. Mm-hmm. And it was like, amen. And again, so discernment ministries, for the most part, the way most of them navigate. So obviously I'm not throwing all of them under the bus. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm saying in general, the, the narrative propaganda approach that they take, I don't find to be helpful. And I actually don't find the people that follow them religiously to have convictions. They tend to be mean. And that goes back to what Jesus said. Your disciples will be twice the sons of hell. And what drew some people into the quote unquote faith is the fight they're they're probably not actually believers. They just recognize the authority of scripture and like having authority over other people. Mm -hmm. And so they're mean and they're nasty and that, wow, they found somebody that's a little less mean, a little less nasty, but that person's little less mean, little less nasty is now justifying my super mean and super nasty because we're fighting heretics. Mm -hmm. And look, Paul used hyperbole, Paul used um, sarcasm and it's like, yeah, but man, you should, you should, there should be a part of you that breaks for that, uh, for that false teacher because that person's going to face Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. So, you know what I mean? Like, obviously, you know, we, we've had this where somebody, I mean, I've been accused of not wanting to stand up against false teachers. And it's like, that's not true. I just take a different approach and it's fine if you don't agree with my approach, but you, what you can't do is say, I'm not trying to fight false teachers. I just believe the best way to fight false teaching is to put forth what the truth really is and let your convictions about the truth cut and show you the error and the truth, Amen. Yeah. So anyway,
1: yeah. yeah. I mean, going back to books, right? Yeah. I think this is where, like, you know, you know, the money's fake, but you can't put a finger on it. So books help us clarify those, yes. the reasons help us clarify the thinking. Uh, like, like we we know we know that God is Trinity, but maybe we can't put a finger as to specifically, you know, why. Yeah. But the Spirit leads us to that conclusion. Well, books help us. Uh, unravel that truth in a way that's helpful to explain to people and teach and be helpful to our own soul.
0: Yeah, a lot of times uh, what what books have helped me do is realize that sometimes I've not asked enough questions. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes they've made me realize, oh, we are both asking two different questions of this text. Um, It's helped me be a better reader of Scripture. Uh, It's helped me be crystallize scripture a little better sometimes. Yes. Because if you're, if you're reading from somebody that's spirit filled, like the spirit is still influencing that person, even in his or her imperfections, there's still some kind of educated, you know, spirit filled maturity coming out on paper.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Now uh, to say that for most people, I would say, don't waste your time reading heretics books. Yeah. It's just a waste of time. Like go, and that, that's probably my my discernment. Like go read things that are true and good mm-hmm. and occasionally read outside of your echo chamber to, to just like, you know, again, if we need to be confronted, you know, and I think that's it, right? In the echo chamber, you just assume you're, everybody's going to speak truth. And it's like, well, if we were wrong, how would we know we're wrong if this is our mutual blind spot as an organization? Yeah. And so then you start to go, Okay, right, what if we're like David rolling along and some guy's like yelling at us and somebody else in the inner ring is like, hey, do you want me to kill that guy? Because he's critiquing you. Mm -hmm. And David's answer was, "Uh, maybe the Lord brought that guy along to say something to us. Maybe we needed to hear it. In which case you go, yeah, maybe. So, you know, but that takes work
1: what was his name, M- M- Mephibosheth or something like that? I don't remember. Yeah. Name, name a ministry after him. There you go. Oh, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> that's a discernment ministry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But even the
0: Bereans, somebody asked, is that a discernment ministry? I was like, I don't think so.
1: Like, Oh, they're just diligent.
0: Yeah, they were just diligent students. Yeah. But even there, uh, notice that's in a community. Yeah. That's yeah. not just one, like, when they're like, oh, be a b- good Berean, and then you come back, and like, I've studied this, and the whole community's wrong, and I'm right. Uh, yep. Yeah you might want to be slower to say that mm-hmm. because the brands, it was a community, the community together could look at the text and say, Hey, this guy's preaching on Psalm two and Psalm one ten, even though they wouldn't have been numbered at the time is, is right. Like, Hey, that's what the text says. He's not, he's not out to lunch on this. And as a community, they were able to do that. Mm-hmm. So even the brands are community, you know, that, oh, by the way, that's probably my last thing I should say is that's why it's also good to read old books. Hmm. Um, like CS Lewis said, read for every new book you read, read a couple old books in between. And in general, I try to do that. Uh, it's sometimes harder, especially when there's a a cacophony of good books that come across your desk that are all newer, but I think he's right. Again, the same spirit that is at work today was at work 1500 years ago. So to, to just be like, nah, we, we understand so much more. So I'm not going to listen to the, to Athanasius would be kind of silly. Like, no, let's listen to Athanasius. I was closer to Christ historically than we are. Mm-hmm. So yeah.
1: Good. Well, so much for short, short podcast.
0: <laughs> well, you know, that's how we do it. We, yeah. It was, I blame the no coffee.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: All
0: right. So I guess we'll, we'll talk the next. Uh, yeah. So we'll see. I don't know what the next podcast going to be. Uh, um, well, we got
1: to do bully pulpit at some point this month.
0: Yeah. So bully pulpit is on the agenda. We also kind of want to talk a little bit about cornerstones. Um, relationship with children.
1: Maybe you'll bring that up during the ordinary book.
0: Well, that's what I was thinking. Okay. Yeah. So the men and women are going to be de- going through the ordinary book. Um, here when the women finish relationships quickly, like pretty in the next couple weeks mm-hmm. and men are finishing forgiveness in the next couple weeks. So, um, we'll go to ordinary and it's definitely going to come up in ordinary. Yes. So that's, that's fair. We can, we can hit it in ordinary and, and, and roll on still the, the sex the sex, uh, I almost said the sex tape. Like, <laughs> the sex podcast is still on the agenda. Just, uh, it's not like it's not super high priority.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: but we will hopefully that discussion will be helpful. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I haven't read Truman's book, *The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self*. I feel like, um, I was like, oh man, I. You
1: <sighs> haven't, or you have? No, no,
0: having finished it. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. yeah. Like makes me kind of want like. It almost retooled a little bit in my head that I didn't realize how
1: big of a deal the sexual revolution changed everything. Yes. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, yeah. I don't know. Nobody's, like, knocking down the door begging us to talk about it either. Yeah. Uh, The hard part is every time we talk about, like, things that are gray. Like, traditionally, the church doesn't talk about these things. And so I feel like every time we talk about something like that, we kind of, like, stir the pot a little bit. And it's mm-hmm. like, we're not trying to like disrupt people or upset you. Mm-hmm. We're trying to serve and be helpful. Yeah. And, and I think some people just don't realize what a problem it is for other people. Mm-hmm. So sometimes our podcasts are not meant to help you, they're meant to help somebody else. Oh, true.
1: Yeah. Amen.
0: Yeah. That, that's a, that's, yeah. I think that's it too. You read a book sometimes, you're like, eh, where's this ever going to come into play? And you don't realize, uh, it may not be about you. It may be about you being equipped to help somebody else.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Helpful stuff. Thank you.
0: I think the takeaway from this, if I'm being honest, is that you should have no problem with your spouse buying more books. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and more bookshelves. And it's perfectly fine for there to be stacks of book, asymmetrically stacked, laying around the house. Mm. In fact, it would be silly if there weren't books asymmetrically stacked around the house.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: So you know that one spouse is like, "You should keep your books clean." I just don't know. I don't <laughs> know if that spouse understands.
1: Yeah. Well, I have both asymmetrical, horizontal, diagonal, sci- all, all oh, sorts of ways. Yeah. Scattered. <laughs> yeah.
0: I if anybody knows what movie I'm referencing, and you come up and tell me, I'll give you ten thousand points. That's one of my favorite
1: lines. Oh. Uh-huh.
0: Asymmetrical book stacking. You're right. No human being would ever stack books this way. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great line. Uh, half our congregation won't know it because they weren't alive in the 80s. So mm. but there was your hint. There was your hint. And some of the older people won't know it because they never watch movies. So it's, there it goes. Thomas is out. He's got no shot of knowing what we're talking about.
1: No, yeah, He's playing baseball. Yeah. Football. Yeah.
0: All right. All right. Well, if you have any other. Questions or comments, fire away. We'll figure it out.
1: All right. Well, over and out.
0: Over and out. Signing off. All right. Later. Mm-hmm.